Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to introduce our guest today on Be Brave at Work. Chris Brady is a New York Times bestselling author, speaker, humorist, and businessman. His most recent book includes The Bitcoin Bride, A Rascal Money Story, and he has published several other books on many other different topics to the degree that he has sold over 2 million books in eight languages. Chris is a CEO and creative director of Life Platform, and he is also the executive publisher of Obstacles Press and one of the founders of All Grace Outreach, a charitable organization which I'm sure we will hear about. Chris originally was educated as an engineer and received his BA in mechanical engineering at Kettering University and his master's of science in manufacturing engineering at Carnegie Mellon University as a General Motors fellow. He has been recognized by Inc. Magazine as among the top 50 leadership and management experts and is one of the top 100 authors to follow on Twitter. Chris also is a resident of beautiful North Carolina. Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Ed. I'm delighted to be with you today. Well, I did minor honor to your background, and I think our listeners would love to hear a little bit more about what you have done in the past and really how you have come to do what you are doing today in the marketplace. Well, it's a pretty wandering path. As a matter of fact, I wrote a book <laughs> called Pales, P-A-I-L-S, and it was designed was it to teach young people how to look at their possible future careers because as I lived through mine so far, it wasn't a straight line. I was trained, as you read there, as an engineer. I got a couple engineering degrees and started my life in the auto industry. I love cars. I love the auto industry. But that didn't last very long. From the point I entered college to when I became a full-time entrepreneur was only 12 years. So I don't have a lot of full-time experience as an employee I found that I would rather start businesses and be on my own. And writing books and becoming an author was supportive of my entrepreneurial activities. And one kind of fed the other and continue to do so to this day. So God's blessed it. And I'm just enjoying life. Well, you know, when we think about bravery at work, oftentimes people believe it takes bravery to leave one area of opportunity, one work path and jump into another or decide that what you're doing doesn't fit right and you really want to do something different. Can you talk a little bit about 
you know, what you experienced, you know, once you left college with a mechanical engineering degree, probably believing you would spend your life as a mechanical engineer working for General Motors and retiring someday with a really beautiful large pension and really taking a step in a brave direction to move on and do other things. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it did require bravery. Now that I listened to you tell that that way, I can remember when I was doing that. So I left my engineering position at GM when I was 30 years old. So still a pretty young man. Like I say, I didn't have huge experience, you know, 12 years or so since I'd begun college because I worked as a co-op engineering student throughout those years of my undergrad. So I was at GM at 18. So I'd been there 12 years and they treated me great. I really liked engineering. I had great people around me. I had great experiences, but it just was like wearing somebody else's shoes. They just didn't feel fit to me. And the more I was honest with myself, the more I realized that I wanted to strike out on my own and do something in the entrepreneurial space. That was hard because all the forces were against me. Comfort was compelling me to just stay put and ride a nice career upward. I had mentors at that company. They, the company treated me great and they were career pathing me to future opportunities. Great benefits, great salary, great status. My wife is an engineer too, by the way. So we were dual income, no kids. We were <laughs> no, dinks. No pressure, know? no pressure. Right. But she's as crazy as me and she was along for the ride and up for it every step. So when I was leaving, I remember people telling me I was crazy. Like you're giving all this up and you're burning bridges and are you crazy? It'll never last. But the strange thing is that I never looked back. I've been a full-time entrepreneur ever since. It's 25 years ago, by the way. I know I sound super young to listeners, but I'm 55. <laughs> but And that part of the company that I was working at didn't last. That factory is gone. The 14,000 employees that used to be employed there at that huge location in Flint, Michigan, it's entirely gone. It's been bulldozed. It's surrounded by a barbed wire fence. It's nothing but weeds. So while it looked like wow. I was leaving a sure bet for something risky, it turned out to be just the opposite. You know, I tell your listeners, if you have a strong feeling inside about doing something brave in the marketplace or changing how you operate in the marketplace, changing jerseys like I did, I would say that uh, you should honor that impulse and pursue that leading because it can turn out really good. Well, let's take a minute, if we can, Chris, and talk about this feeling in your shoes, as you described, they didn't fit the engineer's shoes or this impulse, this, this voice in your head. You know, what did it feel like? I mean, were there things happening at work that just didn't feel as rewarding as you hoped they would be? I mean, what was this impulse experience like? So people who might be experiencing something similar might say, oh, that's what this is. This is my voice telling me that this isn't the right thing for me. Yeah, there were a lot of things. One was that I went on a vacation. So I got married. My wife and I are both engineers. We're both happily employed at General Motors, but I felt limited in what I could accomplish and wasn't able to do everything that I wanted to do. And I think my ambitions outstripped my opportunities there as an engineer in a factory. And then the excitement of having an unlimited upside potential as an entrepreneur just kept drawing me. And that voice just wouldn't go away. So after a while, I finally mustered the courage to make the leap. And Ed, I actually probably made the leap too soon. My business on the outside wasn't really strong enough to sustain me. So my wife and I had a lean year or two there as I was really getting my act together. But again, it ended up being worth it. 
Well, you know, everything in retrospect could be a little bit better. So, you know, that can happen. And I'm still really interested, Chris, if we could just continue talking for a couple of minutes, because I think many of our listeners might be in a position where they aren't fully satisfied or feel as though they could be doing something else and may not have the bravery to take a step and walk into the human resources office at an organization that you love and you're doing well at to say goodbye. Right. So, you know, what are your thoughts or you know, what should someone be thinking about before they take that complex step? Yeah, well, it's going to be different for everyone. And first of all, you know, not any job is perfect. So there's always going to be moments of frustration. There's always going to be things that you're required to do that aren't fun. There's going to be piles of work that get you down. Those are are not what I'm talking about. All jobs have that. All responsibilities have that. What I'm talking about is a deeper conviction that, like I said, this might fit someone else just fine, but it just doesn't seem to fit me. I feel called to do something more, to make a bigger contribution, to do something different in a much different way. I think people also need to be very careful to analyze their temperament and make sure they're wired in such a way to handle the risk. Risk doesn't bother me. Not knowing what I'm going to make in a year doesn't bother me. As a matter of fact, it thrills me because I hate knowing what I'm going to make in a year. When I was on salary, they told me the number and I'd work all year long and I couldn't change that number. Being an entrepreneur, I have no idea. It could be feast or famine. I love that. But that's a temperament thing. Not everyone's wired that way. Lots of people need the security and the solidity of knowing that they've got that salary or that hourly wage promised to them. So I would say to make sure that the impulse is more than just a moment of peak frustration and make sure that you have the temperament to really handle the volatility that comes with making a move like that. And also make sure you have the spouse. I had a very understanding wife who was on board for the journey. But once all those things are in line, if you've really, really done some soul searching and prayer and the impulse won't go away, then it's exactly what the name of your podcast says. It's bravery that's required to make that step. And excellence is always on the other side of inconvenience. And so it's going to be inconvenient. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be maybe a little scary. But if it's the right move, it'll work out. Then you have to make the decision. And then step two, make the decision right. Well, I loved all of those observations, Chris, and two in particular jumped out at me. One is, you know, make sure that you're not making a decision because you've had a bad day right? We all have bad days at work. Maybe we all have bad weeks at work, but don't make a life altering type of decision because you're having a bad day or a bad moment. Ensure that what you are experiencing is recurring and happening on a highly frequent basis versus just kind of a one-off moment that you know you might make a decision and then regret it going forward. And then the second point, which I think is extremely critical, and I say something very similar when people ask how I transition from corporate to coaching, which is spousal support, that nothing will end your journey quicker than a spouse looking at you over the breakfast table saying, I can't live like this. I need you to get a job so that we have a, right. consistent, a consistent income and benefits and things of that nature. So you need to ensure that you have strong spousal support. And it sounds as though you had both. Yep, that's right. I was blessed. Fantastic. So let me just go back as well. Uh, Are you happy that you got a degree in mechanical engineering? Do you feel that part was something that you could have done a little bit differently? Or is that something that you don't reflect back on and have just moved forward from? I got a great education. Kettering University and Carnegie Mellon are two awesome places as far as I'm concerned when I went through there. Just 
great educations and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade those for anything. I don't use engineering specifically directly in what I do, but I use my engineering training in almost everything I do from problem solving, analysis and synthesis, systems thinking, everything, thinking from first principles. And I can't recommend an engineering education highly enough because it opens the path in so many directions that you're not locked into being an engineer. You can carry those principles into many, many other professional disciplines. Absolutely. Well, that's great. You know, different people's journeys start at different moments. And it sounds as though your journey to where you are today began post-college. And once you worked for eight to 10 years and really recognize that the feeling you had and the voice in your head was directing you in a new way. And today, in addition to all the books you've written and the charities that you've helped create, you are now a global expert on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which I think of in respect to bravery, as a lot of people might believe that in order to invest in Bitcoin and or cryptocurrency, you might need bravery, right? That you might need to be a little brave in order to invest. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts and observations on that front. Yeah. So I wasn't brave enough when I first discovered Bitcoin either. So I can speak a little bit from failure here. (laughs) I first heard of Bitcoin, I believe it was sometime in 2013. And I can prove it to some extent because I bought a copy of Bitcoin magazine back when it was produced in physical form. Back in October 2013, I was in line at a grocery store. I saw it on the stand and I'd heard something about Bitcoin before. So I picked it up out of curiosity and bought it. Now, I know all this because I still have the magazine. I read through the magazine. There you go. A collector's item. Yeah. And I couldn't make any sense of it, really. You know, it had some shady beginnings and some nefarious early use cases. And that stuff just scared me away. And rightly so for, you know, those were the right motivations for me to stay away from it. But it wasn't until about three and a half years later that I checked back in again and really started to get educated about Bitcoin and what it represented and really the problem that Bitcoin was invented to solve. That's the key part. And once I got educated on it as a private investor, I started buying in and continued to do everything I could to learn as much as I could about it. And it's turned out to be one of my best investments ever. So people would find out that I'm enthusiastic about Bitcoin. We'd have a great conversation about it. And it's like the rock group Kiss. I heard in an interview one time, Gene Simmons said, we simply became the band that we could never seem to find to watch in concert. I wrote the Bitcoin Bride book the same way. I never seemed to be able to find the right book to hand someone that they would actually read. There's a lot of great books on Bitcoin out there, but most of them are straightforward, expository style business books. Most people won't read those. Let's face it, most people won't read at all. So I wanted to encapsulate the teaching of Bitcoin to help people get up to speed on it for someone who really doesn't know anything about it. And I packaged it in a romance novel set in Italy because I figured I'd make it as attractive as possible to the reader. And plus, I love Italy. And so that's what the Bitcoin Bride is all about. It teaches Bitcoin why someone should be interested in it and what there is to know about it through a fun story. Well, I think it took bravery to create a Bitcoin education experience around a Italian romance novel. Yeah, it's definitely uncharted territory. (laughs) No, let me say that again. Uncharted territory. There you go. Well, continued success on the book. It's a new publication, I believe. Yes, it came out last November. Fantastic. Well, continued success on that front. And Chris, I'm wondering, many of our guests have shared a reflection of the past where they were not brave 
at some particular time in their professional career, preferentially, but it could be at any point in your career. And I'm wondering if you might have a story of a time when you were not brave and kind of impact or implications that had on your career development. Yeah, it's funny. We've been talking about me leaving my engineering career and becoming an entrepreneur and making me sound all great and brave because I did it. But I have some stories that go the other way for sure, as probably all of us do. When I was first freshly back at work after getting my master's degree, the company was treating me wonderfully. They gave me a mentor and he was in charge of kind of career tracking me and laying out each of my job assignments and help grooming me for management someday. And one of the first things he recommended that I do was go out to the factory floor and spend a couple of years in supervision of production. Now, anybody who's ever worked in a shop before knows that that's just about the most stressful, unrewarding, difficult, challenging job that exists inside of uh, manufacturing industry. But they gave me the area to supervise that I had spent most of my time as an engineering co-op student working in. So I was familiar with the equipment, familiar with the people, familiar with the process. So that Mm -hmm. was all helpful. They were putting all the dominoes in place for me and trying to help me have a win. That didn't make it easy, however. It was very difficult. And it was kind of a new system, a new manufacturing area. And they had this desire for that area to produce a certain number of parts per shift. And the number was astronomical compared to what that department had been able to produce so far in the handful of years that it had been installed. It had never lived up to expectations and it had never produced that many parts in a shift, not even close. And so they put me in there and said, this will be great career path for you. Get a couple of years experience there. And by the way, do the impossible and make this equipment produce this ridiculously high number. So I was only 24. Some people at 24 or older. I was younger at 24. I'm a late bloomer. Really only the second time in my life I'd ever been in command of other people, ever been in a supervisory role. I maybe had six months of experience before that. So really nothing. And I had a hard time trying to figure out how to get this ragtag group of people and that equipment to accomplish what management wanted it to accomplish. But along the way of trying to do that, I stumbled upon something that actually worked. This was a factory, like most factories in the United States, where the employees worked eight-hour shifts. And we had three shifts, first shift, second shift, third shift. And this equipment was so complicated and broke down so much that second shift was geared entirely toward maintenance. So we would shut the machine down at the end of the first shift, which I supervised, and then the mechanics would come in, they'd work on this machinery, and then third shift would come in at night, about 11 o'clock at night, and then they'd run it all night, and my shift would come in at first shift, we'd take the handoff, keep it running. And there's something interesting with equipment, and airplane owners know this, that the more equipment runs, the better it does. And I started noticing that if I could keep the equipment running. By the end of our shift, it would be running fine. It would stop breaking. It wouldn't be down. It was running fine. So I started offering people to work two hours overtime and effectively start working 10-hour days. And the efficiency of our machine and the numbers went through the roof. And I'll cut the story short here. Basically, running that machine four days at 10 hours instead of five days at eight hours meant that we could hit those ridiculously high numbers that were set for this department. It worked. So I took this to management and they didn't want to hear it because it would involve renegotiating with the union and the union had never given in on anything like that. And it wouldn't be fair to the other union members and the rest of the plant that were working eight hours, five days a week and et cetera, et cetera. Well, my union guy that represented all my employees, he was for it. 
All my employees were for it. They loved it. Everybody liked it when the machine was running better. I took it up to management. My first supervisor liked it. She punted me uphill. The next one liked it. But by the time we got up to the higher levels, they wouldn't do it because it involved too much on their part or they couldn't believe that the union would ever agree to it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I pushed it a little bit. I kept trying a little bit, but I didn't push hard enough. And we never did get permission to run four 10-hour days. And we never did implement that. And like I told you, all the way down at the end of the story, that factory got raised to the ground and all those machines got scrapped. And we never did make it to that quota. And I always think back about that. And I think, I wonder if I'd have been braver if I would have just persisted in a classy way, in a friendly way, but just would have been the squeaky wheel that doesn't stop squeaking. I wonder if I could accomplish that and somehow gotten them to agree to make four 10-hour shifts the way to run, because I'd proven it with the data that we would have hit our quota and it would have worked. So that's my biggest one where I wasn't brave enough and maybe I should have been. Well, I think that's a fantastic story, Chris, and thanks for sharing it. And we always tell our listeners that anytime you need to be brave with another person, whether you need to tell them something that might be hard for them to hear or do something that might be hard to do, that you should always do it respectfully and professionally. That if you're ever saying something that is hard for someone to hear or do something and you're not doing it respectfully or professionally, that's all they'll remember. They'll remember how you did it, not so much what you were doing. So who knows? Maybe if you took it up another couple of levels, that factory would still be standing today. Yeah, I don't want to over-dramatize it or act like I couldn't save the whole shebang, but it always makes me wonder. You know, I was young. I was very thankful that they'd paid for my education. I was trying to be a company man, but, you know, they were paying me to make changes and to get that place working, and I discovered a way to do it, and I don't think I was brave enough or pushed hard enough to do it, and I wish I would have. Well, Chris, thank you so much for sharing that story. And thank you as well for being a guest on Be Brave at Work. If folks want to contact you or find out more about the work that you're doing, how can they do so? Yeah, the best place is just to go to my website. It's chrisbrady.com, C-H-R-I-S-B-R-A-D-Y.com. And everything is there. Fantastic. Well, Chris, once again, thank you for being a guest on Be Brave at Work. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.